0: Hey, everyone, welcome back. This is episode three. Black girl, white world of the Walking Well podcast. I am your host, Jalon Martz. And so today we are going to be talking a lot about racial identity, which I know you can feel like, hey, I'm not black or brown. What does this have to do with me? Well, if you don't find yourself being a black girl in a white world, I still encourage you to listen. Um, it's my heart that we really begin to um, bring on perspective, diversity, and have dialogue and discussion, because I think we will only be enriched um, and our perspective broadened by multiple perspectives and points of view and finding out different ways of being in the world. I really believe that um, we're supposed to be connected and to really reap the benefit of being connected to people, brown, black, yellow, white, all of that. So let's just start with a little bit of my story again, um, on being black in a white world, right? So I say that I was raised in white world simply because for much of my um, growing up years, I was at a predominantly white private school, and so that really made up my peer group for many years um, as I was as I was growing up. Um, and so being one of maybe three or four, on a good year, five black kids, um, you know, I don't think I noticed a lot of difference immediately. But um, I will say that once I hit adolescence, I think we started having conversations that brought to light um, a little bit more of the racial tension, or at least racial identity to the forefront. So around um, middle school, sixth seventh grade or so the girls would sort of stand around after lunch we'd just be talking and one day someone sort of just started talking about you know like hey well how much do you weigh how much do you weigh people were like throwing out numbers and in my mind I'm like oh it has been a minute since I was that light you know or I don't remember being that that small you know um and then it was like oh well what size jeans do you wear and people are like oh you know when I shop at Hollister I get like a double zero or I'm like a two at Abercrombie and I'm like Maybe I can't even fit anything in Abercrombie and Hollister. That is like what is not happening. And um, it just really kind of sparked in me like, a whoa, what's happening? Am I that different? You know, and like I said, I was one of a few black kids and maybe like even fewer black girls. And so we were such different body types. I didn't even that wasn't even like, a oh, well, you know, she and I are both kind of tall. Like it wasn't it wasn't even like a standard that I looked at because me and the other black girls were so different anyway. And so, um, not seeing myself, not seeing another person that looked like me, that was built like me really kind of made me turn inward and go, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you a size zero? Why aren't you able to fit anything in Abercrombie, you know? And, um, and, and the white beauty ideal became my standard. It became like, wow. Okay. So, There's not tons of Jalons walking around and I want to belong, but as Jalon, I don't belong. I don't fit. And so I need to be like them. And so the long silky hair, the slender body, the, um, small hands, small feet, you know, being about five foot, you know, all of that became really important. And I saw myself start to back away from the table of my blackness and really chase these white beauty ideals. I remember in middle school, I was like flat ironing my hair every day. And part of that is being young and not knowing how to take care of your hair. But the other part of that was, you know, I want the straight silky hair and and really damage my hair that way. And you know in the in the physical department i was like running my body every day i was watching what i was eating and like keeping a food diary and keeping a strict count on calories and this is as i'm like gearing up for adolescence and so like as a as a female your body is like okay well now that we're hitting womanhood we need to add on more body fat and that was just like a no go for me i was like no 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 we need to get back in these size 8 jeans that's what needs to not happen you know, and just really trying to force my body into this mold that it was never supposed to fit in. And, um, eventually I moved beyond that and the Lord really had to deliver me from that. Um, but it just, it started with, I don't see anybody that looks like me. And the funny thing is in the African American community, it's called being thick. People want to be thick. They want to have hips. They want to have thighs, you know, and, um, and, but that wasn't my world. That wasn't the reality. That wasn't the 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 climate that I was steeped in. I was steeped in white world. And in white world, the beauty ideal is slender. It's maybe tall, maybe not, you know, it's small, it's petite. And I was just not those things. Um, but the really interesting thing is that being black in a white world doesn't just affect how you see yourself physically. It definitely makes a mark on you um, internally. I remember as, you know, I was young, we moved around a good bit um, early on. I remember um, feeling like, I have to be the anti-stereotypical girl when I show up to this new school. Like I already know they're going to expect me to be a problem and to not be on reading level, you know they're going to have all of these ideas about who I am. Um, and I need to prove them wrong. I need to be the anti-stereotype. And so I took it upon myself. I was like, okay, well, I've got to know how to speak very well. I've got to, you know, be sociable. I know my times tables. I am hooked on phonics, you know, and I am beyond reading level. I'm already in chapter books. Thank you very much. You know, as a second grader, I, I recognize that and I, I carried it with me. Like, this is my job. I have to dispel the black stereotypical myth, you know? Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I carried that with me. And you don't realize how long you carry those sort of things internally, how much you internalize those things um, until you're a little bit older. Because as a second grader, I don't know why I knew I needed to be um, well spoken. You know, I didn't know necessarily I didn't, I don't know how I knew that. I don't know what impression I got that I knew I needed to have a white voice when I answered the phone because that's how you're taken seriously, you know? Um, But I remember in college even, um, I had an incident where um, there was a guy in my class. I went to UF and I had a lot of football players and athletes and swimmers and stuff in my classes. And I had a guy that was just like bent on getting my attention and um, he sat behind me one day in class and as like me and some of my friends, as my classmates that were in a group were looking over a paper that we'd gotten back from our teacher, he took it upon himself to run his hand through my hair. And, um, and I remember in that moment being outraged and being angry and being, oh, so very upset. But just as, as quickly as the emotion rised in me and all that righteous, holy indignation, I remembered like, whoa, hang on a second everybody in this classroom has a, has a perception potentially of me as a black woman. And if I pop off, like I want to pop off, that may confirm for many of them what they think of when they think of a black woman, that she's loud, she's obnoxious, she's ratchet, whatever, without ever thinking about, well, what just happened? Was she violated physically? Did somebody touch her and cross a physical boundary? Like they may not ever stop to get to know that. Um, but they may very well, um, decide that I am everything they thought I would be the caricature, you know, the over exaggerated drawing of what it what a black woman is. And so those are things that you carry with you because either you see faulty mirrors, you see the um, like the carnival style mirrors that that have all these exaggerated features of what it is a black, what a black woman is, um, what a black person is, what they are not, or you see no mirrors at all. And to see no mirrors, to see no representation, um, that is called symbolic genocide. And symbolic so genocide basically says, you know, we're going to put a bunch of faces up here. And the fact that you don't see a face that looks like yours tells you where you do and do not belong. So if we put your face here, okay, you're cool there. But if you see a billboard plaster with all these people that go to this church and you don't find a Brown face, you just make the assumption. I don't belong there. There's no space for me there. There's no place for me in that, in that particular space. Um, and so essentially that was what happened for me. Um, and it's really important, I think, to guard against this, to guard against all the damage that can come from not seeing mirrors. I think a lot of times... Um My less melanated people don't realize that you're surrounded by mirrors. You're surrounded by images that um, affirm your beauty, that affirm your style of beauty, that affirm you have long silky hair that you wash every day. And, you know, you're slender and you're tall and oh, you want to be tan. You know, you have all these mirrors that tell you you are beautiful. But for black and brown people, we're just now getting to the point where we're represented in commercials, you know, like. That's commercials, you know, not to even speak of places of power and influence like government and business and academia. We're still getting, we're still having tons of firsts in politics. We're still having tons of firsts in academia. We're still having tons of firsts, you know, in um, in sports. And that's really a testament to how not inclusive, uninclusive, non-inclusive, whatever the word is, that's a testament to how we haven't yet embraced fully the beauty of all of the colors of the rainbow um and and that's problematic because you lose out you lose out when people aren't celebrated for what they bring to the table because everybody brings something to the table so what's the takeaway what's the big point what's the big deal why should you even care about black girl and white world um i think one of my goals is awareness um in mental health we have this phrase called microaggressions and microaggressions are basically instances where people are interacting with you in a way that kind of rubs you the wrong way they don't really know that that's what's happening but it's sort of like a um it's a it's like a inconsideration. so for instance uh band-aids band-aids are supposed to be flesh colored band-aids right they're flesh colored but who's flesh right um I remember a conversation with um, some girls at the school I taught at, um, or I teach at, but they're no longer at the school, um, where they were talking about my brother, and they were like, "Oh, he's the whitest black kid I know," and that was like, "What do you What do you mean?" And some people don't realize that that's a problem, that that's like not a compliment. It's like someone going, "Wow, you're so articulate," and it's like, "Well." okay what why do you say that to becky or jenny or jennifer like do you tell them that they're so articulate when they talk or are you remarking on something um because it's surprising to you that what you had in mind for how i would speak is different from what you've encountered for me and it's remarkable now you're talking about it do you just anticipate that i will speak broken ebonics all the time broken english or whatever like so saying somebody is the whitest black person you know is really odd because you want to stop and say, like, well, what does that mean? What makes them white? Why is white the standard? Um, is speaking well a white thing? Who says, you know, um, is being intelligent a white thing? Who says? Um, and really just examining where a lot of this stuff comes from, where... um hating your thighs comes from, where being a white black person comes from, you know, on both sides. Um, when I got to college, um, I really started getting exposed to more of African-American history that I was not exposed to previously. And then outside of college, I started studying and reading on my own. I read incidences and in, incidences in the life of a black girl or um, yeah, this is in life. No, incidents in the life of a slave girl. That's what it's called. Incidences in the life of a slave girl. I read um, 12 Years a Slave. I'm reading Audre Lorde now. I've read some James Baldwin. I'm exposing myself to more and more of black writing. And it's interesting to me um, because it's really started to help me sort of question the ways that I have chased white beauty ideals, but also chased white cultural standards um, and, and tried really hard to conform because I guess I saw that acceptance and affirmation was in the conformity. Um, and, and I don't think you realize how often that happens and how deeply it's embedded in your psyche as a, as a person of color, um, the ways that you you back away from the table of your culture, of your racial identity, of your history. Um, and it's important to, to think about those things. Um, one of the reasons I, I cut my relaxed hair was because I realized I found safety in straight silky hair like I found some identity and some security in that that like okay I am attractive because I have this kind of hair if I had a different kind of hair I wouldn't be as beautiful I wouldn't be as cute I wouldn't be as attractive and that was just a signal to me that oh you most definitely absolutely need to embrace your natural hair now because there's some sort of lie that you're clinging to some sort of fig leaf that you're holding on to that somehow means something for your identity and your beauty and that's not acceptable it's not okay fig leaves are not okay anywhere at any time um but beyond that, it's been really interesting to discover more and more of African-American history. I think that um, I have found myself in the past really driving hard this whole anti-stereotypical black girl thing, um, when in reality, it was sort of shame driven. It was like, I don't want to be the person that like speaks broken English and pats their head and loves fried chicken because that's shameful. Like someone has told me that's shameful and I don't want to be that way. Um, but as I've gotten to read about the amazing people in the African American community, we are not those things. I mean, sometimes we are, but we are more than those things. We're activists, we're artists, we are engineers, we're great thinkers and amazing minds. We are actors and playwrights. And, um, we're so many things that go beyond the stereotype that, I think it's really freed me to be the girl that speaks Ebonics and wants to be a poet. You know, I think it's freed me to embrace the ways that I might be quote unquote stereotypical because I know that's not all that I am and that's not all that we are as a black people. So it's cool to, you know, like be however stereotypical you are and whoever decides what stereotypical is, um, but to also be an academician, to be an amazing athlete and to be an artist like the, the complexity is freeing to know the full story is freeing. So, um I think my heart is really just to bring about awareness that you know, whose standard? Whose standard are we are we pulling from? Whose standard are we trying to adhere to? Um because there's nothing that's always white or always black or that only black people do and only white people do. That's not a thing. That's culture. You know, culture creates people, culture forges people. Um pigmentation does none of that. And I think it's also important to really consider melanated or not so melanated, you know, whose standard are you holding to? Who's, who's, who set this standard? Whose standard are you aiming for and why? You know, I think as a black woman, I'm okay with speaking broken English and being loud from time to time and cackling with my friends, even if that's a stereotypical thing because it's actually who I am. I love laughing Um, And every now and then my laughter gets loud because that's just kind of how God made me. And I'm also a boss when it comes to academics and building things and creating systems and speaking and encouraging people. Um, I'm I'm embracing the fullness of who I am. And so Black Girl, White World is really about that. It's about finding who you are and embracing that to not hold to a single story or one person's standard, but to find out how God has made you, how God has created you the full story, the full picture, and to celebrate that in you and in others. Um, because ultimately that's the goal, right? That's the whole purpose and point of identity. It's finding out who God has made you to be black, Brown, yellow, white, and just celebrating that and rolling around in it and encouraging other people to embrace that freedom as well. Um, So while my story started off with clinging to some standard that wasn't my own, trying to aim for beauty that wasn't my own, on the back end, I have found my own standard that God has set on the inside of me to be loud and crazy or disciplined and really reflective um, depending on the time in the day, you know? And so I just encourage you guys, find that. Find who it is that God has made you to be and embrace that and celebrate it. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. On the Walking Wall Podcast.